Well, what's going on, everybody? How's everybody feeling? <laughs> Thank you. My, uh, my name's Dalton. If I, don't, if I don't know you, if I haven't met you, I'm the, I'm the Greenville Fuse pastor. I can't see what's happening there, but I hope it's good. Uh, I miss you guys a ton, but I'm excited to be with all of us across the state. Uh, and here's, here's what I know. We're in a series called Get to Know the Real You. Has anybody enjoyed the series that we've been in over these last seven weeks? Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. Here's, here's what you need to know about me. You don't need to know a lot about my life story, but part of my identity, I wouldn't necessarily say as a preacher, but what I wanna make certain that we, that we launch with tonight is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to preach the word of God with the way that you live. And I can certainly attest to you that I hope to do that for the rest of my life. And what I believe is that today, God has something very, very special in order for eat, in store for each of us that are here. But before we go any further, before we like talk about all of these wonderful things that I believe that God's gonna share with us, I think we need to make certain that we ask God to speak to us individually and that we don't just trust on the fact that we're just gonna fall into this. Because God's here and he wants to meet with you individually. He wants to speak to you. He's got something very, very special that he wants to say to you. It's not just something that's gonna be addressed to your campus. It's not just something that's gonna be addressed to your fuse group. This is, this is prescribed for you. And I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know what kind of day you've had, but if it's been hectic and you just need some time to slow down, we're gonna give you that second right here. So right where we are, before we get started, I just wanna invite everybody where you sit. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to be quiet for just a couple of seconds. We've been in a wonderful time of worship. But now is just a time to sit and take a deep breath and ask God to speak to you. Father, I'm, I am grateful for today. I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I'm thankful, God, that you didn't create me to walk in a spirit of fear. I'm grateful for the fact that you have filled me with power. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would fill me and that I would preach with that. Full of humility, yes, but full of power because I'm believing that you wanna do the very same thing. You wanna instill some power in the hearts of the believers here in the room today. Would you answer their prayer that they've just asked that you would speak to them directly tonight? We ask all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, hey, like I said, we're in a series called Get to Know the Real You, and what we've been talking about is the idea of identity is actually not just simply knowing who you are, it's actually receiving who you are too. Because you can be told over and over and over who you are and who you're gonna be, and somebody can have dreams and aspirations for your life, but until you actually receive it inside of your own heart who God says that you are, it's gonna be really, really hard to muscle your way into becoming the man or the woman that God's created you to be. And I'm believing ultimately that the last six to seven weeks have been this on-ramp into this idea of we've discovered who we are, we've discovered how we're gonna take some weapons into the battles that we face on a daily basis, we've discovered what it looks like to be a mighty man and woman of God. We've seen so many different things. And in fact, last week, Mary got to stand up here and she got to teach us that you're in one of two camps. You're either alive in Jesus Christ or you are simply dead in sin. And there's simply no, there's no gray area in between. And what I'm here to tell us tonight is that you weren't just simply created to become alive in Christ and to step into a relationship with Jesus. You were actually called to spend this side of eternity living that life in power. And he's created each of you on purpose specifically, not only to execute and do wonderful things here on earth, but you're gonna need the power of God in order to actually see that come to fruition. 
And what I'm believing is that if we'll lean into what God has today, I'm believing that each and every person inside of this room and all across the state, we're gonna leave here different than whenever we came in. It's gonna be a powerful thing. But quick show of hands just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Anybody okay to say, yes, I've been afraid of something in my life. I've been afraid at some point. If you see your neighbor with their hand down, they're, they're lying because I know that this is one thing that we have all in common. Fear is everywhere. Whether it's even just a small thing where you're scrolling through Instagram and you see something that's going on, you're like, oh man. I did, case in point for me today, I don't know if you follow New Spring Fuse on Instagram, but for some reason they put up a picture of me and my family and my kids are so cute. But like they put up a picture of me and said I was preaching tonight and the first thing that hit wasn't, oh man, I can't wait. It was, I hope I do good. Hope I don't lay an egg. It's good news I only get this once, you know what I mean? But the reality is it's everywhere. And what I wanna do is I wanna like, take this down just, just a hair because some of these fears are irrational. And I don't know if you know this or not, but every fear, it seems, has some sort of crazy long name that I have no idea how to spell. We're gonna put these on the screen. We're gonna, we're gonna roll through these together. The first one is gonna be on the screen. It's gonna say this. Oh, man. Arachibutyrophobia. This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Yeah, heck yeah, man. This is why jelly is actually like instilled in that sandwich combination. Or if you don't like jelly like myself, you throw some bananas, maybe a little bit of honey just to make certain that that peanut butter doesn't get stuck up there because it's terrible, right? But that seems irrational. But there are people here, maybe here, but uh, somewhere in the world that this is a real fear. This is a real fear. The next one is, oh man, ephobophobia. I think that's how it goes. And this is simply the fear of adolescence. And every single leader in the room, you have had this fear tonight at some point. Because you walked into Fuse and you don't have any idea what conversation you're getting into today. I have this weekly at Fuse, it feels like. Now let's, let's bring this back to an even playing field. The next one is nomophobia. And everybody in this room that's a student, this is the fear of being without your cell phone. Yeah, this is what your leader looks at you every single week and says, you ain't having your cell phone no mo. Right, you got nomophobia. It's a bad dad joke. It's all right, stay with me. The fear, of, the fear of not having your cell phone, it's a real thing. I don't know about you, but every time I leave the house, I'm checking my pockets. All right, do I have my phone, keys, wallet? We're good, we gotta go. Because we have a fear that we're not gonna be connected and we're gonna miss something. The next one, ergophobia. And this is the fear of work. If you've been with us throughout this whole series and you, and you sat in the discussion, especially for, for the young men in the room, we told you that God created you to work. And that you don't have to be afraid of that because it was a blessing from God. And the wonderful news, God made you to work and not only work, but to be crazy successful at it. But there are people in our world that are terrified of it. Not just simply because they don't wanna work hard, probably more in line because they feel like they're gonna fail. They feel like they're gonna let somebody down. They're scared to work. The next one, nyctophobia. This is the fear of the dark, all right? Anybody willing to say, I was afraid of the dark as a kid? Yes, my hand is up. This went all the way into middle school for me. That's humbling to say. This went all the way into middle school for me. I was terrified of the dark. I used to ask my mom when I was in like the third or fourth grade, I can't remember saying, mom, will you leave the door cracked? And candidly, it wasn't because I was afraid of the dark. I was scared that my house was gonna catch on fire and I just didn't wanna make certain that like the locking mechanism melted and I was gonna get trapped in there. That was what I told myself. But there was a real fear. Fear, scared of the dark. The next one, anthropophobia. This one, you're probably starting to break that word down a little bit. This is the fear of people, AKA the fear of man. And if we're honest, this, it, this is at war in the room now. We're terrified about what people think. We're terrified that we're gonna let somebody down. 
This grips so many of us. Every, I, I remember going to school lunches. I had massive fear of man every time I sat at your lunch table because I was terrified if you didn't think I was cool or not. You look at me with that blank stare like, impress me. You know? It's like, I hope so. We'll see what happens. If not, I'll come back tomorrow and try again. But fear of man's a real thing. And the last one is phobophobia. And I believe that this is the reason that we're having the conversation that we're having today because this is simply the fear of fear itself. What this is described as is that there are folks that are so deathly afraid of things that they're terrified of the anticipation of it coming again. And they get so wrapped up in being fearful of what could possibly be next to be afraid of that they never actually experience any sort of resolve in their heart or peace or rest. They're constantly thinking of what's coming around the next corner because they're so wrapped up in fear. And this is the devil's goal for you and I. He wants to get us so focused on what we could possibly be afraid of that we can't be focused on what God would have for us. In the name of Jesus, this is going away. As we leave here today, what I believe is that if you will lean in and listen to what God has for each of us, we will leave with the power necessary to never have to submit or bow our knee to fear ever again. Because that is not the way that God created you and I to live. This is a massive, massive deal. But the reality is, what would you say if I told you that you and I were actually created to live in fear? But not the fear that you know it today, not the, not the fear that you're thinking of or, or ultimately some of these silly ones that we read through just a second ago. But you and I, from the beginning, by design, we were created to live in fear of God. Not a fear that causes us to shake or that causes us to, to dread or to ultimately uh, be worried about this, that, or the other. This is a fear that, is, that places us in awe of who God is. That when we find ourselves in his presence, the only thing that we can do is worship, is to ascribe God glory, is to tell him how wonderful he is and how thankful we are. To say, God, I can't believe you would choose somebody like me. Mary and I were talking backstage before this and she said, this is the fear that you're so afraid to be anywhere else. That the presence of God is so good, you're terrified to find yourself anywhere but the presence of God. And God designed for you and I to live in that way from the beginning. And the crazy thing is, he created us to live here on earth that same way. But then Genesis 3 happens. And sin enters the world and fear and shame follow right in suit. And now all of a sudden we're at war with like, what do we actually need to fear? What actually deserves a place of rule and authority inside of our lives? Because what I would argue is that as Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he reminds us that whenever you and I stepped into a relationship with Christ, he didn't give us a spirit of fear. He says that you and I received a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And what we're gonna be here to do to remind ourselves of is that maybe we've misplaced our fear in something that ultimately has no authority in our life to begin with. That we get to remind ourselves, we get to submit ourselves to a place where we can live in fear of God, full of power, full of love, and full of a sound mind and self-control. And this is ultimately what Paul was writing to the church in Rome. And he was encouraging with some really, really strong language because what I believe is that there's so many of us as we're following Jesus, we're walking around in the spiritual journey like we're walking on eggshells, like we can possibly do something to cause God to love us less. And we have this fear that like grips us where we can't move. We're just, let's just survive until we can get to the other side of eternity and be with God forever. No way. He created us to thrive. 
So what I want us to do is I want us to read a little bit of scripture together. This is gonna be in Romans chapter eight. If you've got your Bible, you can open up there. Romans chapter eight, and this is gonna be verses 35 through 39. It's gonna be up on the screen. It says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get so in a, in a rush when I'm reading the Bible that I forget like the tone that maybe some people are writing with. And just imagine what Paul, the, the tone and the way that Paul would have said this if he would have said it instead of writing it down. I believe he would have looked at him and said, no. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you and I read the word conqueror and you're like, yeah, that's cool, I read it in history class. Hopefully I made a passing grade so I can move on. But this isn't like the world that we live in today. But this would have been a big deal to the church then because this is how ultimately the world worked in these days. It was who had the biggest, baddest army and you got everybody together and you moved to take over land. Ultimately, if you look at the world nowadays, it may be happening in different ways, but this is still how things work. You and I may not live in fear of this living in the United States, but there, there are still people that are trying to take over and bring people underneath their governing rule and authority and conquer these folks. And Paul's saying, hey, you live in one of the most powerful empires in all the world. And I'm telling you that because of the love of Jesus, you're more powerful than that. You've seen all the triumphal processions of the Roman armies that are coming in and marching in all these people that they've taken captive in battle. And I'm telling you, that's wonderful and all, but because of the love of Jesus, the power that lives inside of you, you're far more powerful than a conqueror. There's so much more that you and I get to aspire to because we're followers of Christ. In fact, I'm sure of it, that there's nothing that gets to separate you and I from the love of God, nothing. So whenever you're thinking about this idea of conquering, I wanna make certain that we have this accurate picture. You did one of two things whenever you were conquering a country. You either devoted it to complete destruction, no one was left. You pillaged their cities, you set them on fire, and you took all their stuff with you whenever you left. And then you sent your people to live in their country. Or, teach you a new word, (laughs) subjugation, I believe is how you say it properly, thank you. Subjugation, and this is just simply taking a people group is what we talked about earlier, and you bring them underneath your governing rule and authority, which is probably actually more powerful than simply killing people altogether. Because now you're taking someone that acted a certain way, and because of your sheer force and power, you are taking them and you are shifting their way of life to fall underneath your authority. Now the wonderful news is whenever you and I were conquered by the love of Christ, that's exactly what happened inside of our hearts. And that's why you and I can actually step into this identity of becoming more than a conqueror. We can't until we allow our hearts to be conquered by the love of Christ. It's impossible. Because this is gonna be up on the screen, you need to write this down. That it is ultimately God's love that makes it possible for us to live without fear. You cannot force yourself into living a life that is fearless by just simply working your way towards it. You can't create enough opportunities. You can't self-talk your way and convince yourself that this is gonna happen. You can't work your way there. You can't white-knuckle it. This has to be done by God. 
And it is the love of Christ, the love of God, that ultimately allows you and I to live without fear. And I think one of my favorite stories in the Bible actually illustrates this perfectly. I think many of us have read this story before, but it's the story of David and Goliath. Anybody read it before? Show of hands. Love it? Awesome. I think this story is so amazing. If you haven't, let me paraphrase it for you. Then we're gonna read a good bit of scripture together on screen. But basically, David is the youngest of eight brothers. I don't know about you. Not many people probably have eight brothers. My, my Lilia family over in Greenville, you guys, are, you guys are challenging the crew there. You got six. I mean, it's amazing. You're doing a good job. But the reality is, none of us have eight brothers, and David's the youngest. So just imagine like where he is in the hierarchy of things. Some of you are going, I have a younger brother and he gets everything, he's probably at the top, right? I mean, let's just be honest. More than likely, he was the one that was ultimately, and it says in the story, like David was a shepherd. In fact, whenever Samuel was coming to find and anoint the next king of Israel, there were seven of his brothers that his father Jesse actually marched in front of him before David ever got a phone call. So David was a shepherd boy he was young and he was in the field and he was tending to different flocks for people around town so that he could make some money. But the reality is, God had something different for him. And in, in, first, in first Samuel 16, David gets anointed as the next future king of Israel, but then he goes back to shepherding. And then the Philistine army is coming to attack the nation of Israel. So three of David's oldest brothers, they go to fight with King Saul and the rest of the, the armies of the nation of Israel. And we pick up the story with David as Jesse is sending a care package to his brothers full of some goodies from back home. And David rolls up and Goliath, this Philistine, is standing in the middle of the battlefield. And he's beating his chest and he's declaring that, hey, you send your best warrior against me. We'll fight one-on-one. Whoever wins, that's who gets to win the battle. That's who gets to stake claim to this victory. That's who actually gets to take, um, that's who actually gets to take authority in what actually happens from this, from this war. Goliath wasn't an ordinary guy either now. Many people believe that Goliath would have stood over 10 and a half feet tall. Massive human being. What about you? I haven't really walked up on anybody that's 10 and a half feet tall recently. Make basketball a lot easier. But Goliath, Goliath was a huge guy. He was so physically imposing that nobody would actually stand toe to toe with him and go to war for the nation of Israel. So David rolls up and then this is the encounter after David says, hey, I'll go fight him. I'll take care of this. Why is everybody wasting their time? This is something that we're gonna be able to take care of ourselves. And in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 41, this is the exchange between Goliath and David as they're standing on the battlefield. And it says this, let's pick it up in verse 41. It says, and the Philistine, that's Goliath, moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. At that point in time, everybody else had turned around and run away. But not this man. Not this, what this would be considered a young boy under the age of 20, probably somewhere around the age of many of the folks that are in the room right now, Listen to how David responds because there is a distinct difference in what everybody else had until this point. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. That is a stud. 
and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines, not just you, everybody that's here with you, this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So if you continue reading, obviously David, uh, notoriously, he, he approaches not with anything in his hand except for an old slingshot and a, and a handful of stones. Tosses a stone in a sling, rolls it around his head, stone sinks into Goliath's forehead, falls down, David grabs Goliath's sword like a gangster and cuts that thing off and holds it up for everybody to see. Now how in the world did a boy operate so fearlessly and with so much power and in such a stark contrast from everybody else that had stepped toe-to-toe with Goliath up until this point. Because something had to be different. Nobody pulled him over to the side and gave him a pep talk that was just this, this famous speech that we get to read about. This wasn't somebody that just kind of said, hey man, I think if you just go try this, this might actually work. No, people were looking, his brothers got mad. His brothers looked at him and said, why are you here? Shouldn't you be back home tending to the sheep? Who even called you here in the first place? Leave, leave your care package and go on home. Saul actually looks at him and says, hey man, if you're gonna go, you need to at least wear all my stuff in case you get hit. So David puts on all of this armor and he's like, I don't know if I can even stand in this stuff. I, I don't wanna take this, this is untested. I'm gonna set this to the side. I'm gonna at least take what I know. And I think if you're not careful, we'll read and we'll hear this story and we'll think that David picked up a sling and a stone first and that is not true. David toted in a brand new identity that nobody else had. He brought in an identity of a son of God, fully convinced that God not only called him his son, but that he empowered him in such a way that absolutely nobody could stand up against the God of the nation of Israel. In fact, who are you to possibly come at me with sword and with spear thinking that you're going to win? Because I've got something that you haven't tasted before. I've got a power that you haven't yet seen. I've got something inside of me that we haven't written about yet. And my fear, play on words, right? Is that some of us, we're walking around with that same power and you have no idea that it's even inside of you. And God called you to stand toe-to-toe with some Goliaths in your life and say, you, you bring that? That's wonderful. Let me introduce you to the power of the living God. Not to make a name for me, not to leave you impressed with how wonderful I am, but to simply remind you that this is the Lord's battle and this is what he's called me to and this is what I'm gonna step into and full of power, full of confidence and faith that God's gonna deliver me. It's a powerful thing. But the Bible actually records where all of this happened and I want us to read it together. It's gonna be actually just one chapter before and it's in 1 Samuel 16. And this is when we're the point in the story where we were talking about Samuel searching for the next king of Israel because they desperately needed someone to lead them. And in 2 Samuel 16, verse 13, in the latter half of the verse, it says, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. At this point, David's anointed king with oil, but that was just so everybody that was around could see what was happening, because there was something that was happening on the inside of David's heart that nobody else could see except for David and the Lord. There was a new identity that was being created, There was a new sonship that was being created and there was new power that was being received that ultimately he would use to cut off the head of Goliath and set the nation of Israel free. And some of us 
have been filled, like I said before, with this same power, and yet we're walking around terrified of what people might think if we just actually tap into it and use it. Like, what are people gonna think if you sit at your lunch table and you speak as though you've spent time with God? What are people gonna think that if you show up and you say, hey, you come to Fuse, you don't ask it in like this wishful thinking. You say it like, hey, Fuse is the best thing that I got going on and I need you to get to a place where you can hear the gospel. You need to come and hang out with me on a Wednesday night. For some of us, you are the first person in your family to step into a relationship with Christ. And you have moms and dads, grandmothers and grandparents, You've got different friends that are in your life and they're looking at you and they're looking at you kind of strange. It's like, I'm, what are you doing? And it would be easier to just suppress the power that you know is living inside of you, to suppress the things that you hear God telling you to do and just simply live in fear of what they might think or if they might say no to some things that you might offer them to come and be a part of with you. Some of us are gonna actually have to introduce the power that God has placed inside of you to your family. And some of you are gonna lead your moms and your dads to the Lord because of it. In the name of Jesus, that's gonna happen. Some of us are gonna have to be okay with the next time that we look in the mirror, we get to be pleased with that no matter what the reflection looks like. And that doesn't come from the fact that you've just psyched yourself up before you look. That comes from the fact that you have known you have, you have stepped into a knowing relationship with God and he's put something inside of you that's just different. It doesn't matter what, what happens to look back in the mirror anymore because you know there's just something different about you. It may look a certain way that somebody may not approve of, but God does and he looks at you and says that he's pleased. And you're gonna roll into school tomorrow morning and there's gonna be a little lightness in your step because not only did you see something different in the mirror, but so is everybody else that's gonna walk past you in the hallway. They're gonna see a brand new you, but it's not gonna be an appearance. There's just gonna be something about you that they've gotta learn more about. They're gonna have so many questions. And then there might be this fear that creeps in that says, I don't know if I got all the answers. And that's okay, because God does. He promises in scripture over and over and over, he's gonna give you everything that you need He's already fully equipped you with everything that he set you apart to accomplish. In fact, he even says, don't even worry about what to say. I'll give you those words whenever you need them in every conversation with every relationship that I allow you to be in. He wants us to live in power, so it, we might as well do it. So as we close, we're gonna take a little bit of time here in this, in this invitation but as we do it, I want us to put our eyes on, on one more verse of scripture. And it's gonna be up on the screen and we're gonna read this together. It's in 1 John chapter four, verse 18. And it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, which only resides with God, casts out fear. And we can leave that up there because we, we need to look at this for a little bit and we need to reckon with this inside of our heart. Because if we're honest, there's so many of us, we have, we have a relationship with Christ, but there's still fear there. And what this is saying is you don't have, this, what, this is say, what this is not saying is that you don't, have, you don't not have a relationship with Jesus because you feel these things. If you have accepted the love of Christ and you have stepped into a relationship with Jesus, this is not telling you that you need to question that. 
What this is telling you is that there is a perfect love that you have believed in and its design is to completely eradicate fear aside from the fear of the Lord inside of your heart so that you can live in power for the rest of your days. No more fear. No more fear. So what we're gonna do in, in an invitation right now for this first little, little piece here, we're, we're not gonna bow our head and we're not gonna close our eyes. We're gonna do this with eyes open and with heads up. Because what I am believing is that there are people in this room and that there are people all across the state that, the, that there is real fear that is attacking you right now saying, don't you dare admit that you don't have a relationship with Christ. What are people going to think? You've been coming to Fuse for years. You don't ever miss Fuse Group. You're a junior and you've been to five straight gauntlets. You ain't never missed a one of them. How in the world could you possibly not have a relationship with Jesus yet? But something has happened and the love of God has penetrated your heart for the first time and you know that you need to give your life to Christ. And if that's you, what I wanna give you an opportunity in this room and across the state, if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus in front of every single person here, because there's gonna be a great big party that happens if there's somebody in here that needs to give their life to the Lord, I just want you to stand in confidence to your feet right now in every room that you're sitting in. If you know that you need to give your life to Christ, just go ahead and stand to your feet. Man, the love of God is so good. It's so good. If you're sitting here and you got questions, the wonderful thing is there's some people here that have really stepped into this relationship with Jesus and they came here tonight simply to volunteer to tell you more about it. And if you've got some questions, don't leave here tonight with those. Don't leave here tonight with those. And if you just step, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. If you've got folks standing in your room right now, I wanna encourage volunteers to move to these students so that we can have a conversation with you because we wanna make certain that we're helping you walk through the decision that you just made. We wanna, we wanna walk through, we wanna pray with you, we wanna give you some active next steps that you can take in your relationship with Jesus that you just started because there is a powerful life that awaits you. And God wants to tell you exactly how he wants to walk you through it day by day in this relationship that he has for you. Now for the second part of this, this is gonna be a little bit different. Right where you sit, I just want to invite you to bow your head, I want you to close your eyes all across the state, right where you sit. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I need you to ask God, God, where am I still living in fear? And I just want you to listen. God, where am I still living in fear? If you need to get your phone out to write down what God's sharing with you, that's fine. If you need to write it down in a journal, that's fine. God, where am I still living in fear? As you sit and listen, I just, I just wanna share a couple of things from, from my own personal story. I can remember being so caught up in the fear of man, not simply whenever, 
like in college and in high school, yes, there were four years after I had stepped on staff as a pastor at this church where fear of man ruled my show. I got a group of friends that are pastors here on staff that I hold in such high regard. I love them so much. I love the relationship with Jesus that they have. I love the way that they live their lives. I love the way that they pastor. And I can remember thinking, man, what if I never live up to that? What if I don't accomplish what they have? Four years. And then I can remember sitting down one day in a room with two of my best friends and saying, I have to tell you what I've allowed to rule my life for the last four years since being on staff as a pastor at this church. I was terrified of what you could possibly think that I let you down. And I was scared that I would never live up to expectation. And there were plenty of emotions that were attached to that. And the conversation lasted a pretty good while. But I can't tell you the peace and ultimately just the, the joy that I had inside of my heart that I left that office that day because I knew that it didn't have any more power on me anymore. And there was a new level of relationship that I stepped into with God that day. And I believe that's on offer for every single one of us here right now. I believe that there are people in this room and across the state that have heard the voice of God tell you many different things that you're living in fear of. So again, this is gonna be a little bit different with heads still bowed, with eyes still closed. If you have heard God tell you what you're still living in fear of, I wanna invite you to stand to your feet right where you sit. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you've heard God speak to you about some things that you are living in fear of that he never designed or put there in the first place, I just want you to stand to your feet. So now what we're gonna do is I wanna, I wanna tell you what, you need, what, what we're gonna do with what God just shared with you, okay? What I'm gonna invite you to do is boldly at every single campus, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to step out of your seat. I want you to walk down front, not just yet, just stay put. If you're standing and you've heard from God that you're still living in fear, I'm gonna invite you in just a moment to walk down front and there's gonna be a local pastor on your campus that comes out to help walk through what it looks like to repent and confess what is inside of your heart right now that was never designed to be there and to receive the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit that God did design to live inside of you and believe in faith that that is exactly how you're gonna walk out of here today. Full of power, ready to tackle anything that this world could possibly bring your way. All right, we good with that? All right, with that in mind, I wanna go ahead and invite everybody that's standing to walk to the front of your room and a local pastor on your campus is gonna come out and take it from here.